From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, June 17th, our last briefing podcast before a two-week summer break. I'm Anique Aiken. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering to hear what went down at the Collaborative for Frontier Finance's annual convening of emerging fund managers in Dar es Salaam. Hi, Monique. Great to be here. Great to have you, Jessica. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. Net zero pledges are proving easier for investors to make than to fulfill. Over 270 firms responsible for more than $61 trillion in assets have joined the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. Less than a third of those have set 2050 net zero targets, covering just $16 trillion in assets, the group reports. Signatories have a year to submit their targets after they join the initiative. Among the challenges that firms face, the group says, are the war in Ukraine, shifting regulations, and the politics surrounding ESG. The global crackdown on greenwashing continues. Goldman Sachs is the latest financial institution to come under investigation for its ESG funds. The Securities and Exchange Commission is probing whether investments made from the firm's ESG funds contradict its marketing materials. Last month, the SEC charged and fined BNY Mellon for misstatements and omissions in its marketing of ESG funds. And German authorities raided the offices of asset manager DWS in May over allegations of quote-unquote greenwashing in its ESG funds. The Sola Impact Affordable Housing Fund secured $15 million from financial services giant Equitable. Sola's Black Impact Fund invests in affordable housing in Black and brown communities in the U.S., particularly low-income communities in South L.A. The investment comes as the Los Angeles Times reports that Sola faces at least five lawsuits. One Los Angeles nonprofit alleges that tenants in one of Sola's buildings face health and safety threats on a daily basis, including rats and roaches and water damage. Sola's Martin Moto pushed back against the lawsuits, but told Impact Alpha they gave him, quote, a renewed and intensified commitment to continuing to improve and continuing to be excellent. Reforms to the Community Reinvestment Act are on the agenda. The act was put in place 40 years ago to undo racist policies in banking, yet racial wealth gaps persist. Bobo Gupta of Pacific Community Ventures and Lenwood Long of the African American Alliance of CDFI CEOs posit on Impact Alpha that, quote, new CRA regulations cannot continue to be colorblind, end quote. Proposed rules to strengthen CRA fail once again, they say, to take a race-aware approach. And the Fashion Climate Fund raised $40 million to decarbonize the apparel supply chain. San Francisco-based Apparel Impact Institute enlisted Lululemon, H&M, and the Schmidt Family Foundation to help cut the fashion industry's carbon footprint in half by 2030. The global apparel and footwear industry is responsible for 2.1 billion tons of carbon emissions, equivalent to the emissions of France, Germany, and the UK combined. So Jessica, you were in DAR last week attending an event hosted by the Collaborative for Frontier Finance. Tell us about it. Oh, man, it was an awesome week, um, actually. On a personal level, I've been wanting to go to Dar es Salaam for years. So I was really thrilled to go. And uh, man, it's a city. It's just got great energy. And so I'm hoping I get a chance to go back and do a bit more exploring. But but yeah, the real reason I was there was for CFF's annual gathering. Um, CFF is a network of emerging and first-time fund managers in Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia, but mostly Africa. Um, And it's 
main purpose is to support fund managers that are investing and working on behalf of small businesses and their local economies. And it's, you know, at its heart, the network is really about community economic development. Oh, that sounds great. Um, what did you hear from the members there about how their work is progressing, particularly in light of this changing economic climate we're in, post-pandemic, all these other drivers? What did you hear? Well, I was at the first convening CFF hosted, and that was two years ago in Nairobi, right before the pandemic lockdowns in Europe and the U.S. began. And much of the conversation then was really about, okay, we're here, we're doing this deep development work. Where do we find the capital to support us in doing that at scale? And most of the funds then were early into their fundraising mode. Some had raised a couple million dollars. One or two were on their second funds. Um, So most were really at this kind of nascent stage and grappling with all of those challenges of being a first-time fund manager, you know, trying to build a pipeline of deals, cutting small checks, building a track record, all on a shoestring budget, um, while trying to raise money in markets that most investors deem as risky. They're supporting small businesses, which most investors deem as risky. And then, you know, they're working with these unusual fund structures that most investors don't understand. So the theme then was all about fundraising, and the tone around that was actually pretty intense. So what's changed since then? Well, one of the fund managers summed it up nicely. She said, this is about urgency and the money is taking too long. So here you have these 40 or so odd funds who have been just plugging away, cutting deals with the capital they can find in a pandemic, no less. Um, And, you know, that big institutional capital they're looking for still isn't coming in particularly from international development finance institutions, which, you know, purport to be all about the kind of economic development that these fund managers are trying to facilitate. So I think there was this real undercurrent of frustration that these fund managers are doing what they can to tick all the boxes that institutional investors require of them. um, And still, they're just not reaping the rewards of that. They're not getting investments. And then you know, sort of parallel to that, there was this remarkable creativity and resilience on display. These managers are putting together some really innovative models to get capital into businesses in their communities. And, you know, a couple that stood out to me were, um, there's this one Africa Trust Group in South Africa, and they're tackling this twofold problem of having limited administrative and financial resources while also wanting to support female fund managers in the ecosystem. So what Africa Trust Group is doing is they're using what they call pay for results financing, where they invest in deals that are brought to them by other female fund managers that clear the due diligence phase. And that then helps these other fund managers build up their own track records. There was also this other organization in South Africa called Makoti Kekana Capital, which is supporting Black-led businesses in the country um, with what's a really locally relevant approach. So in South Africa, Corporations are required to invest a portion of their after-tax profits to building more racially inclusive supply chains. That's a legislative policy that was designed to right some of the injustices of the apartheid era. Um, And what Makoti is doing is trying to leverage some of that CSR money to actually help Black-led businesses commercialize intellectual property that's relevant to those corporations. So in your piece, it sounded like there are some signs that the ecosystem is evolving to make this work easier, right? Yeah, there were some small but significant things happening. Um, One of the big pieces of news at the convening was the launch of this new fund of funds that was specifically set up to invest in emerging and first-time fund managers. That fund, um, which is called Nayala Venture, and I wrote about it earlier this week, now has $10 million from FSD Africa Investments to get started. 
And this idea was really born out of that first CFF convening in Nairobi two years ago. Um, and CFF has just been plugging away ever since to kind of make that happen. There's also 2X Ignite, which is an initiative of 2X Collaborative that's working to raise capital and corral together other resources for emerging fund managers with a gender focus. And, you know, hot off the press this week is that Ghana has officially launched its own development bank um, with a specific focus on micro and small businesses. And this has been in the work for several years. And the World Bank agreed, I think, back in 2020 to support uh, the bank with, um, you know, $250 million. So this is a new milestone. There is some concern from local and emerging fund managers that there will be too much emphasis from the Development Bank of Ghana to capitalize commercial banks rather than funds like the ones at the CFF convening. Um, Samuel Yaboa, who leads one of those funds, uh, Maripa Capital in Ghana, said, you know, quote, there needs to be more engagement and lobbying to make our asset class a primary consideration and not an afterthought. So you talked earlier about the need to unlock capital from local governments, institutions, and communities in the absence of more funding from the international DFI world and their multilaterals. Is this part of that story? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Ghana has really been one of the leaders in that respect, I think. Its new development bank has successfully launched. There's also an effort by Impact Investing Ghana, which is Ghana's National Advisory Board for Impact Investing. And the National Advisory Board's um, national level industry bodies affiliated with the GSG, the Global Steering Group for Impact Investing, which met recently in Turin. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Um, so Ghana's NAB is uh, working to help set up a fund of funds to get local pension funds to support emerging and first-time fund managers. They're also piloting this deal sourcing and matchmaking platform. Yeah, I mean, they've really got some interesting stuff in the works. A number of CFF members actually brought up this need for local capital to support their work. Um, and, and for these sort of broader ecosystem level initiatives that will ultimately make the kind of capital they need more available. Um, and I think it's remarkable just how much time and energy these fund managers are investing in that, given how time and resource constrained they are. But, you know, as Sam from uh, Maripa told me, um, quote, you know, with without the ecosystem development work, we will move very slowly or not move at all. Well, I'm so glad that they are building these spaces and ecosystems for themselves. And, and hopefully that it will unlock the capital, the speed and urgency the current problems require. Yes, totally agree. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks, Jessica. And thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. The briefing will be back on July 8th. But be on the lookout for my interview with Patience Marie Mayball early next week. While the pod is on a break, you can still check out impactalpha.com for all of your impact investing news. While you're there, why not sign up for Impact Alpha? Use the code BRIEFING100 for $100 off your first annual subscription. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Have a good couple of weeks, and until next time, take care.